this earth. He uh, even alluded to that in chapter 4, if you look over there, in verse number 6, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So we know that Paul is a prisoner here and he is coming to the end of his life. He is a seasoned servant of God. He has learned many lessons. He started out knowing absolutely nothing and he has learned on his journey and he is still learning. So all the wisdom that a veteran servant of God has for a younger servant of God like Timothy, and Timothy had some issues and problems. Uh, the word ashamed is mentioned quite frequently throughout First and Second Timothy. It's believed that Timothy was very introverted and that uh, Paul must have had some kind of inclination that his tendency might be not to take a stand whenever he should. So the word ashamed appears quite often. And there are other indications about uh, some of So Timothy is growing. Timothy is a very dearly beloved uh, uh, student of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is his mentor and he is looking to him for guidance and has been. Paul and Timothy came together on Paul's first missionary journey as he went around the city of Lystra and Derby. It is uh, Timothy that was led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. And we know that because Paul addresses him as his son in the faith. So we believe he was saved on his first missionary journey. And then we also know that on Paul's second missionary journey with Silas, that they came back through visiting the churches they had established on the first journey and picked up Timothy. And Timothy was there and went with him. And he was a very faithful servant to Paul the rest of the days that Paul was a missionary. Paul would use him as well as others like Titus to send to different churches that he knew were having some difficulty and problem and he would leave Timothy in certain places and Ephesus was one of those places. It was uh, at the time of this writing that's where Timothy was and he was having trouble. Some of the same troubles that were occurring in 1 Timothy were now occurring in 2 Timothy as well. And there are several years in time between the two epistles. And so we, we see that Timothy is struggling, trying to make things right at Ephesus. And Paul knows that from Onesphorus who found him and instructed him as to what was happening and the letter that comes back, we are privileged to have because of God's divine preservation of Scripture. And so, from this, we need to get a good understanding of what was going on in Paul's instruction. And we start to see some of that. Timothy at Ephesus is having a very difficult time due to the, some problems in the church. And we're going to look at some of those. But I know that... God always seems to put us in areas where we struggle. And he does that for our spiritual good. We're not far removed from struggle in our Christian life. And that is not a bad thing. <laughs> because when we struggle, we certainly are dependent upon God. 
And Timothy is in a struggle here, trying to keep things going, trying to deal with a host of problems. If we back up in 2 Timothy chapter 2 here to verse number 3, we start to understand some of the toughness and difficult situation that's going on. Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We understand that word hardness means affliction. So we realize that Timothy is under some kind of affliction, some kind of struggle. And Paul compares it to that that a soldier would have to endure on the battlefield. Because he says in verse 4, no man that warreth. It was not a soldier who was at peace, it was a soldier who was at war. And he was getting shot at, if you will. But notice what he tells him. He says, Timothy, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. He is laying the groundwork for what he's about to tell him. He's saying, you are a soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, there are just some things that you cannot do if you are going to accomplish what God wants you to do. So we see some of these struggles that Timothy is having personally in dealing with some of these afflictions and hardships that he has to endure. There is the care of the churches upon Timothy as well. And what was happening there? You can skip down to verse number 14, which is right before our text verse. And you can see that he talks, he's speaking to Timothy and he says of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. So there was some strife going on and some people were arguing over things that don't matter within the church. In verse number 16, he begins to warn them of a more serious matter where he tells him, but shun profane and vain babblings. He says, Timothy, there's profane and vain babblings that are going on and uh, you can't get mixed up in them as the servant of God. You are going to have to avoid them. You are going to have to shun them. Verse 17, he says that those babblings and talk, it says their word will eat as doth the canker. And that canker means gangrene. It is an infection that is deadly that slowly eats away and steals life. And then he calls the name of two men, Hymenius and Philetus. Who concerning the truth, he says, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and Overthrow the faith of some. So he had some people who were teaching false doctrine within the church. He has people who were striving within the church. He has some afflictions that are upon him personally and that he is receiving because of his position in serving God. And in the midst of all of this, Paul gives him clear direction how to deal with it all. And he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And there are several aspects of this verse that I think would do us good tonight to consider 
First of all, I want you to notice the resource that Paul was admonishing him to rely on. This resource that was going to help Timothy deal with all of these situations and problems was the Bible. Scripture refers to itself in several different ways. One of the ways it mentions itself is as the word of life. The word of God, the Bible, gives life. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick, which means alive. It is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The power of the Word of God to bring life to that which is dead is very well known. It is a powerful thing, the Bible. It pierces into the heart of man. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our hearts. The fact that it gives life is stated by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 where he says, being born again, not of the corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Timothy knew the scriptures had power to bring life, because in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Paul says, and that from a child thou, Timothy, hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy well understood the power of the word of God to bring life. But the Bible says more about itself than just the fact that it can bring life. It says that it is the word of God. You see, the Bible is God's word. Not man's. The Bible was given to us by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration means that it is God breathed. God breathed into this book. God breathed into the words as those men penned them. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 uh, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21 explained it a little bit further, saying that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. It is not a book written by men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That is inspiration, and that is how we got this book that we call the Bible. It is not a book written by men. It is a book written by God. He is the sole author of this book. And I'm telling you tonight that this Bible right here is not the word of man, but it is indeed and truly the word of God. God gave us this word. And he gave it to us through inspiration. That word inspiration, God breathed. Many people say, and I've heard it, heard it mentioned by preachers, that God breathed out the words. But that is expiration. Inspiration means you breathe into. And so as those holy men of God took their instruments to write down on paper, as they began to write, the Holy Spirit of God in ways we cannot know and understand 
overpowered them and they wrote in such a way as to record the very word of God. It was a divine act. The Bible was given to us by God, but may I say also that the Bible has been preserved by God for us today? It is preserved in the King James Bible, in case you're wondering. It is there. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Mark 13 verse 31, and Luke chapter 21 and verse 33 all record the very same verse that says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That tells me that God's word is here with us. And that preservation of God's word extends not to the thoughts and concepts, but to the very words that God gave just as they were originally given. Now our modern versions that are populating the, the land, this landscape of Christianity today rely upon a couple of corrupt manuscripts that have been rejected by our Baptist forefathers when they prove those manuscripts to be corrupt. The modern versions in our day, besides the King James Bible, come from these corrupt texts, and it changes God's word to man's word in many places. It changes God's words to man's opinion, and it attacks the deity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, and many other fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. If you use one of these other versions beside the King James Bible, I challenge you to compare Luke chapter 2 and verse 33 with each version. In the King James Version, which is the Word of God, it says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. You say, well, that don't sound like a very significant verse. Well, it is when Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus into the temple and Simeon blessed him and saw him. And what he said, this is the response that Mary and Joseph had. It says, and Joseph and his mother marveled. That's speaking about Joseph, you know, Mary's husband. Not the father of Jesus. But if you have one of the modern versions, you most likely are going to find it reading, and his father and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And may I tell you that if you're, the book you hold in your hand says his father in it, then that is not the word of God. Because Joseph was not the father of Jesus Christ. He is truly the son of God. In Acts chapter 8, we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And in that chapter, there, uh, the, the eunuch is reading portions of Isaiah, and Philip is there, and he comes along and sees him because the Spirit of God directed him to go to this desert place and to go speak to that man. And he obeyed him and went there and explained to him and preached unto him Jesus, the Bible says. And that Ethiopian eunuch asked the question, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And in Acts chapter 8 verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. You better get baptized then, my brother. And that's exactly what happened. But in these modern versions today, you can start reading down through, through chapter, chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And you can read verse 35 and verse 36. But do you know what? It goes from verse 36 to verse 38. It takes out verse number 37 altogether. And hey, these are just a couple of examples of hundreds of changes that have taken place. And hey, I want you to know tonight that if you have one of these other Bibles, you might as well throw it in the trash. They change more than just archaic words of Old English. And the truth is, those who produce and support these other versions do not believe that we have the pure Word of God. They'll tell you that the King James Bible is not the pure Word of God, but whatever it is they use, they'll tell you the same thing. It's not the pure Word of God. They don't believe it exists. They can make clever arguments and accusations from a very humanistic and logical point of view, but they are wrong, dead wrong. And if I make a mistake regarding my faith in God's Word, it's going to be because I believed it, not because I doubted it. It is the Word of God. But the Word of life, the Word of God is not the description Paul used for Timothy here. He said, study the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. And then it goes on to say, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul is telling Timothy here that his focus and effort was not to be on all of the issues and the problems that were going on, but his focus had to be upon the word of truth. He would be making a great mistake if he tried to correct all the problems. He will run himself ragged dealing with this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. The so-called problems that were going on in reality were just external, visible symptoms of their internal spiritual problem. This problem that they had was simply not following the words of truth laid out by God. And it was something that the Word of God could fix because it has the power to cut to a man's heart and to work on his inside. So it was either the rejection of God's truth or it was the ignorance of God's truth that brought these problems upon them. And it was Paul's instruction to Timothy, if you want to fix all these problems, then you had better study the word of truth and find out what it says. And then in chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, preach the word. <laughs> he said, you study it in your time and that ought to be your focus. And then when you know what God has said and what God wants done, then you stand up and you preach that truth to God's people and let them apply it into their life. And these problems will just kind of disappear and dissolve away when they start obeying God's word. 
And that was the answer for Timothy. But there are some things that we need to understand. (laughs) We're dealing with some of these same troubles. I say we're dealing with some of these same troubles. Our homes are in trouble. Our churches are in trouble. Our lives are in turmoil. There's mess. There is strife like there was in Ephesus. There's division like there was in the church of Corinth. There's issues that are going on. There's false doctrine that's being circulated. Whatever it is, whatever the trouble is, it all comes boiling back down to the one fact that we're not lining up with the truth of God's Word. And if you want your life straightened out, you'd better get back to the resource of God's Word. If you want your home straightened out, you better get back to the resource of God's Word. And Paul tells Timothy exactly what he needs to do with that Word, and that brings us to the next point, and that is the requirement for Timothy. He says to study. That word study means to make an effort, to be prompt. He is to be earnest, which is an ardent pursuit of an object. He is to be very eager to obtain it. He is to have a longing desire for the word of truth. In other places, that Greek word is translated as due diligence, as be diligent, as endeavor, as labor, as study. And so he is supposed to endeavor to search out the Word of God. He is to have a longing desire for that Word. He is to be eager to obtain that Word. He is to be very ardent in pursuing the truth of God's Word. Another word is described here in this verse, and that is that of a workman. A workman is a toiler. That means he is to labor through pain or with pain. As he begins to study the Word and put his focus upon it, it's going to be a laborious task. It is going to be work. It is going to require diligence. And it is going to be painful to him in order to get the truth from God's Word that he needs for God's people. So we see he's got to be a workman. And we see also that he is given the task of dividing the Word. Rightly dividing. That means to make a straight cut. That is to dissect. So he's to put it all apart into its all the words and look up the meaning and find out what it's saying and get it in its context and pray and ask the Lord to give him wisdom. And he's supposed to go through this long, arduous process that takes time and work and effort. Doesn't that describe how you approach the Word of God? Huh? Would you describe what you do in your devotion time and what you do with the Bible on a daily basis? Can you describe it as being diligently seeking God's truth? Can you describe it as being longing and desiring to know God's truth? Can you describe it as as being ardent in pursuit of God's truth? Can you describe it as being 
laboring and work until it hurts and you keep going. Because you've got to know God's truth to fix these problems. Something tells me that doesn't describe our Bible study. You say, boy, Brother Breland, if I do all those things that that you're talking about and I put forth that much effort, I just don't have the time to do it. Let me ask you, what do you have time for? What do you have time for? Do you have time for a ball game? Do you have time for work? Do you have time to eat? Do you have time to eat out? Do you have time to work overtime? You're very much willing to sacrifice some spiritual time so that you can get overtime and get a little money in your hand. But are you willing to sacrifice a little bit of work so that you can meet with God and find out the truth of God's Word so that your home can get fixed and be what it ought to be? What do you have time for? And so we see that this study requires a great deal of time and effort. We have time for TV and we have time for visiting family and we have time for gardening and we have time for fishing and we have time for hunting and we have time for vacations. We even have time for church activities. But somehow we don't have enough time to live in the Word of God and that's the only resource that God has given us to bless us and to fix the problems that are in our life. And it's no wonder we have problems in our home. It's no wonder we have problems in our church because we as a whole are not people who are serious about studying the Word of God. It's going to take more than a 15-minute devotional in the mornings to get you spiritual so that you can deal with things in life. It's going to take more than you just reading the Bible. You're going to have to study the Bible. And you're going to have to get serious about seeking after God. The requirement is to study. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. You see, the problem is that studying the Bible and prayer is just not a priority in your life. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Notice this next statement. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the material things. It is money. It is things. It is possessions. And every Christian is going to have to decide, are they going to serve mammon? Or will they serve God? I'm afraid too many have made the choice to serve man. 
And when Jesus made this statement, notice he said, ye cannot. It means it is an impossibility. Verse 14, and the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees who could quote the scripture backward and forward, who were very religious, very faithful to the synagogue, these religious people who had the scripture, notice what it says about them. And the Pharisees also who were covetous. They were covetous. That means they were consumed with getting gain. They heard all these things. And you know what they did? They derided him. Do you know what that is? It's exactly what you're doing to me right now. To sneer outright. I didn't come here for you to like me. I came here to deliver the truth tonight. And I'm telling you what our problem is. Our problem is, is we don't have a priority of seeking God. So the Pharisees also heard him and they were covetous, it said. And they derided him. And notice what he said. Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. He said, yep, you're religious on the outside. You got it all together. You're doing it all. It's going good, huh? Man looks at you and they think highly of you and you are respected by man. But notice what else he says. He says, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What are you serving? Who are you serving? Seeking after manna, right? The mammon of man. But if you want to correct the problems that you're dealing with, it's going to take more than that devotional you're doing now or flippantly reading three or four chapters a day. You and I are going to have to live and feed on the Word of God. And may I tell you, Hebrews eleven six tells us that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We understand the resource for our problems. We understand the requirement to fix those problems. But also in this verse, there is a rebuke. We see that rebuke woven into the instruction that Paul gives Timothy in the phrase, needeth not to be ashamed. Our failure to study God's word and apply it in our life brings us shame. It brings us shame here when we as God's people live no different than the world. It'll bring us shame in the hereafter at the judgment seat of Christ. It's interesting in John chapter 5 verses 38 through 40. 
Jesus is having a confrontation with the Pharisees again. And he says, And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him ye believe not. And he admonishes them to search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. God had given these people the scriptures that testify of him. They could quote it. They knew it. They taught it. But they never saw Christ. The spiritual privileges that they had, huh? Jesus in the flesh. The scriptures. But yet, somehow, they couldn't get it together. What about our spiritual privileges? We're better off than those men were. We have the Holy Spirit of God that lives in our heart. We have the Word of God preserved and complete for us. We have the church to hear God's Word preached and taught. And yet somehow, we don't have it all together either. What's the problem? We've already talked about that, huh? The problem is seeking God's just not a priority. A rebuke can also be seen in the words rightly dividing. May I tell you that you cannot rightly divide the scripture without diligent study? A lack of study results in wrong dividing of scripture it's easy to take it at its surface assuming a meaning that is wrong and from it making a wrong interpretation and then a wrong application and when things don't work out we say we tried that church thing we tried to do what God said well may I tell you if you did what God said it would work It ain't God's fault. It's our fault. But for those who do study, I want you to see the reward. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He tells him that he ought to study, and here's the reason why. To show thyself approved unto God. That word show there is a very interesting word. It means to stand beside. So one of the rewards that we have from studying God's word is that we have confidence in where we are to take a stand. What our position on this issue is. 
it clarifies for us where we stand. We stand where we know that fornication is wrong because God's Word clearly teaches it. We stand where we know that alcoholic drink is wrong and sinful because God's Word is there. And when we study it out, we know that to be true. We know a lot of things about what's right and what's wrong, how to get right and how to stay right because of God's Word. And when we know God's Word and we have studied it, we can stand on God's Word no matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else does, no matter how they act, no matter how they respond. The truth is the truth of God's Word. And you have confidence to stand when you really know what it says. And when you do, may I tell you, you gain God's approval. (laughs) Very few people are living for God's approval. They, like the Pharisees, want to be justified by men. And that's good enough for them. Well, Timothy, what are you going to do now? Huh? The real question is, what are you going to do? All the problems that you're trying to deal with, running from problem to problem to problem to problem, deal with issue, that issue, issue. Hey, Shun all those things. Get your focus on the Word of God. Make it a priority in your life. Learn how to study God's Word. Not just read it. Not just a devotional. Not just a verse. But get to know God. And know His truth. And live in the Bible. Because it is the only resource we have as Christians that can fix the mess that we find ourselves in this day and time. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight.